Hey, and thanks for signing up. It's the Public Page Podcast for Monday, April 4th. No, April the 4th month, day 18 of that month, 2022. My God, we're all over the place. We're your host this week, myself, Lee and Reed. Hi, hello. Hi. Hi. So, we're checking in. Uh, it's been mostly an Elden Ring week for me. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did, however, if we could talk about things that aren't video games off the top here of the check-in podcast. I watched Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Oh, wow. Much anticipated. My, yes. Breaking box office records. Jim Carrey's Dude, largest. We live in a timeline where a Sonic movie is doing more bank than a Batman or um, Marvel movie. Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Or Harry Potter. The Harry Potter. But who gives uh, yeah. a fuck about Harry Potter? Am I right? Bunch of garbage. Uh, I liked the uh, I liked the first two Fantastic Beasts movies just because it's just like wow, they are flailing, uh, like the the <laughs> the Wizarding World of Harry Potter as flawed as it is and as hated upon based on its uh, fucking creator at this point. Uh, it's neat. It's a good good universe building, you know. Sure. Uh, I guess. I don't. I, uh, I, I never gave a fuck about Harry Potter. I always thought it was lame. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's just yeah. I guess but people herald Harry Potter as like our generation or my generation's Star Wars in terms of when it came out that's and when we stupid. were into it. That's fucking stupid. They're not even anywhere alike. <laughs> no, but like in terms of like cultural phenomenon, like oh, everyone, I w- everyone I know of my age read the Harry Potter books. Oh, I wouldn't like, say Harry Potter's on the level of a Star Wars or anything like that. Just in terms of it, it breaking into the, it being the, you know, we'll say sci-fi uh, hit of our age. Yeah, it, it. I would say it is. Star Wars certainly wasn't. It was hitting those prequels. That that didn't hit the same way. I guess way. Star Wars will never hit that Harry Potter status until Disney outright removes gay lines to sell, sell it in China. Uh, yeah, like very, well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the Lego Star Wars game... Uh, advances the uh, the the shipping of of what are their names Poe and Finn oh sure those losers yeah. um, Oscar Isaac also in Moon Knight Moon yep. Knight also a show we've been watching as well as Sonic the Hedgehog two Sonic the Hedgehog two is great wait uh, Oscar Isaac's uh, in Sonic the Hedgehog two no he should be <laughs> uh, they should bring him in as Moon Knight in Sonic the Hedgehog two yeah fuck it uh, the, the, Jim Carrey's great uh, it's you know if I could say one thing about Sonic the Hedgehog two it is the same as the first uh, but more. Uh, just just piled more on isn't a movie that's in service of it building its own universe, even though it very much is a movie that's going to just keep piling on characters and can just keep fucking going in per- perpetuum. Uh, but here's why it's a good video game movie. Not necessarily what happens in the movie, even though, of course, a lot of it draws inspiration directly from the video games. It is... It gets the vibe right. And when it comes to video game movies, because they are inevitably, just like this Sonic movie, uh, going to just put their fingers in the origin story and just twist and change things, uh, to f- sometimes inexplicably. Like the idea that Sonic is is some adopted being uh, by these owls, and the owls fought the echidnas, and they fucking protected the Chaos Emeralds and all this kind of shit. We get to the same point at the end with the characters acting like themselves and doing the things the characters would do even if that before stuff gets muddled and that's why i'm gonna make my point that the michael bay produced teenage mutant ninja turtles movies are not that bad (laughs) (laughs) that's my roundabout way of getting to it yeah that all the characters are represented truthfully even though they had to go ahead and and make the backstory that april o'neill's childhood turtles became the ninja turtles 
that's un- that's not necessary. And Stephen Amell plays fucking Casey Jones, which is a bit upsetting. Oh, that's awful. But, yeah, that's awful. Yeah. We got Seamus in there as as Bebop or Rockstar. That's like, hey, remember, yeah, we're making Rockstead. an Evil Dead remake. Jai Courtney is Ash Williams. <laughs> <laughs> he wishes he had one one thousandth the charm of a Bruce Campbell. Oh, fuck. Uh, but yeah, go go see the Sonic movie. If you like the first Sonic movie, this has a lot of the same heart as well as some uh, some pretty big scale moments. Uh, I didn't get spoiled for this movie heading into it. Not that being spoiled for a kids movie is. I guess that's a thing. That's been a thing for a while now. But uh, they, they, there's some some fan service uh, that's perfectly well executed in this movie. And apparently Jim Carrey's last movie. So maybe go check it out. Wow. He's uh, he's having a lot of fun in this movie. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Otherwise, Reed, yeah. I'm going to cut you off if you take too long. But tell me why the Halo show is good. <laughs> I never said it was good. It's fine. It's not bad and it's not good. How about that? Um, so a lot like a lot of like the sh- uh, like the video games. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes and no. Like I still think I'm still adamant that Halo One, Two, Three, and Reach are fucking excellent video games all around. Um, but yeah, there's lots of positives and negatives to take away from the Halo series. Um, it it has that very modern um, adaptation thing where we're gonna add in like a very young human character and they're with the sparky upright rebellion and all of that shit is awful. So basically um, this is like right at the start of the human covenant war. So they're still dealing with insurgents who this other main character belongs to her name's Quan or some shit. So her whole (laughs) storyline is her trying to regain back like the control of this city from this fascist dude who's is allied with the UNSC. And all of this is just fucking awful because you don't give a shit about the separatists. There's a reason why, they were never in the video games. It's because that stuff is not as interesting as fucking cool aliens with weird technology attacking humans as they go to this weird alien ring ins- installation. I understand we will get there but by the time uh, we get to the end of season one and we get into season two that we'll transition away from this stuff because it reeks of like, oh, she's she's going to regain back her rebellion and then to show that she's better than the UNSC, she'll still help the UNSC defeat the Covenant, even though the UNSC doesn't like her sort of thing. So that stuff is very predictable and bad. It's a lot like when you're watching The Last Jedi, for example, um, where you, I like, for, for me anyway, I really enjoyed the stuff in The Last Jedi that dealt with Rey and Kylo. I thought that stuff was interesting. I like the stuff with Luke. I like the stuff with the Force. The second you focus on Finn and Rose on the fucking gambling planet, I'm checking out. Uh, and Halo has that same symptom. When it goes to certain storylines, you're like, oh, I'm checking out. I just want to watch the Spartans, and I want to watch them do cool Spartan things. I want to um, see the Master Chief's ass. Yeah, so what I do like about the show, like I said, is Master Chief, for example. I Personally, I'm not upset at all about him taking off his helmet all the time. I, it's, it's never been a point of like, oh, but Master Chief never takes off his helmet. No, he does. It's just we don't see that in the video game because the whole point of the video game is we want to be the Master Chief. Not seeing his face helps us put ourselves into that role. This is a TV series. I don't give a shit. Um, So he takes off his helmet. That's totally fine. He has a Spartan team, and they're all actually pretty interesting. So in the video games, Lee, um, Hmm. there is a character named Dr. Halsley. She's the one that heralded, essentially, the Spartan uh, 2 program. Uh, Master Chief being a Spartan too. Um, in the video in the video games, she's not 
she's like morally ambiguous. She kidnaps these kids, but she doesn't erase their memories or suppress their emotions. She wants them to stay on their own free will. And as such, they become antisocial adults because the only thing they've known their entire life is military indoctrination. Um, but Dr. Halsey has a point to all of this. This is so all the Spartans can be used for UNSC purposes to stop the Covenant, what she knew was coming because she found Forerunner artifacts. In the show, it's different. Um, she has been manipulating these kids, especially John, a.k.a. Master Chief, since he was like 10 years old when he first found a Forerunner artifact. Um, it's definitely like... I, I, I'm not saying whatsoever there's actual um, allegories Wait, for this. Wait, he just happens upon one? Like, he well, like he's, he's on a... Playing in the sandbox? He's, he's on... Um, him and his parents live on um, like kind of like a colonist planet, like one they're trying to settle. Um, and he goes outside the bounds because he's a kid and he just wants to have fun of where you're supposed to go, essentially. And he basically stumbles into an old Forerunner <laughs> cave and he finds an artifact there. It's presumed that the okay. artifact that he touches gives him the ability to activate Forerunner artifacts later in life. Um, okay. So it's just Mass Effect. I, not really. Um, but anyway, um, so in the show, they do it differently. Dr. Halsley is a lot more clearly, um, like, she still has, she's a lot more evil in the show. It's not made clear at all if she even gives a shit about the Covenant or trying to stop them. She does make it adamant that the Spartans are the future as far as, um, you know, any any future wars for the UNSC. Um, but they make her a lot more evil, like I was saying, because she was manipulating John as soon as he touched the artifact. Like, she was on, her, on his ass saying, like, oh, you'd have so much more fun with the UNSC. Don't you want to come with us? Like, it, it's, like, a little bit grooming-ish, if you will. It's a little bit... Um, it's not, like, sexual or anything, of course, but it does give you that sense of, like, this adult manipulating this small child and everything like that. And then later in life, um, for Spartans in the show, they actually do suppress emotions artificially with uh, drugs and stuff. Specifically... Uh, equilibrium. Yes, yeah, specifically a pill that they put into their spine. Um, and they do erase their memories. So John touching the artifact has brought back his memories, and because of that, he removes his pill... And Dr. Halsey lets it happen as like sort of like an experiment thing. Um, How was he able to remove his pill? Uh, he took a knife and went to his spine and cut it out. Oh, okay. And that's well, why you see sure. his, that's why you see his butt. Um, <laughs> he removes it from his ass. Yeah. So what I actually do like this change in some ways. I obviously I really enjoy in the video games how they're just antisocial, military indoctrinated persons, and John even has some self reflection of that in Infinite. But in the games, it create. I mean, in the show, it has created this interesting atmosphere where Halsley is very much acting and is trying to be like the mother figure for John. But Master Chief is slowly piecing together that she's a piece of shit, and he could have had a life outside of like fucking being the Master Chief. And he could just explore caves and find artifacts and stuff. Well, no, he's just like like he when he took out the pill for the first time, he kind of had the equilibrium moment. You know what I mean? He went out, he was listening to music, and he it's, it's a like, puppy, yeah. And, yeah, and he saw like a dog and all this other stuff, and like he's starting to piece together that there's life beyond being a Spartan. And Halsley took away my family, and she's been seeing me since I was a kid. So what else has she lied to me about? So that stuff I really enjoy. Um, the action, of course, I've said before, is really, really well done on this show. Um, the actual s interactions with his other Spartan team, Silver Team, are super interesting. They love talking about all the alien weaponry, so you get lots of cool game stuff in there. Um, and they have a connection. They're not with John at the moment. They're with Halsley's daughter. 
And this is another weird change. In the video games, Miranda Keys is just another military officer in the in sure. in the UNSC. In the in the show, they made her Halsley's daughter. And they make it very clear that Halsley has never gave her any sort of a t- they haven't even talked in this fucking show. Um, but they made it clear that Halsey's never gave her attention and she despises the Spartans for it because she feel, she like is jealous that the Spartans basically got all her mother's love and affection. Yeah. yeah. What about Cortana? How's, how's Cortana? Oh, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, so I do like this, the Spartan team because they're interacting with Miranda and they relate on the fact that Halsey is like this cold, heartless bitch and like um, stuff like that. So that's really interesting. I like John's team. I like the stuff happening with John and Halsey. So Cortana in this game um, uh, is this movie the show <laughs> in the show. Sorry, in the show is just like the game. She's a Flash clone uh, that was turned into an AI. So Halsey clones herself. She basically sticks a needle in the clone's brain to like format it to an AI, and then that becomes Cortana. Um, sure. As far as what Cortana looks like and sounds like, it's pretty much just like the video game. So that's fine. Um, but her and Chief do not have that immediate relationship like they do in the opening of Halo 1, where they're totally cool with each other, and Cortana is like, all right, Chief, let's go. Uh, like, Chief is immediately like, what the fuck, fuck that. I don't want someone in my fucking head watching me all day. It's super weird. Um, so that's not bad either. You can definitely tell they're going to be going to that direction where they do become a team. Um, but so far, the pace has been slow, understandably but we only had one real big action scene so what i'm hoping for the rest of the series is we actually see john and his team um go out on a mission interact with one another we've maybe had a few minutes of john actually interacting with his team and talking to him about stuff um and i think that's where your biggest strength lies in halo is the spartans is their relationship with the military their own interpersonal problems um and eventually you obviously need to bring that back to the covenant but we need to get rid of this insurgent shit because it's absolutely fucking brutal, and no one cares how, about rebellions. How long is each episode of the show? It's an hour. Or 45 okay. minutes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but it's it's not bad at all. Like, Halo was never... <laughs> Halo, like, if you ask me, if you're like, hey, we're going to make a Halo TV show, I'd be like, that's stupid. You should make a Halo movie. And they'd be like, why? I'd be like, because there's not enough fucking content to drag this out for three seasons. Like, Halo 1 could be in a one-and-a-half-hour one movie easy. Like, sure. he lands on a planet, you just make the people he lands on the planet with actual characters, so there's some human characters besides John, but John is your fucking, is your badass, he's your, uh, he's your, he's your Dutch from Predator, and you can have your other characters be the, be the Dylans, the Carl Weatherses, if you will, and mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, or you take the Mad Max Fury Road approach, right, where like, his name's on the movie, but he's maybe in it less yes, than yeah, any other main yeah, character. That's exactly what, yeah, that's a great way to put it. It should have been a Mad Max situation where, like, it opens up like Halo 1. They're attacked by the Covenant on the ship. They're forced to a- evacuate to this nearby mysterious ring they've never seen before because they went out of a random slip space. Um, Chief lands on the planet with a group of UNSC Marines. You just turn those Marines into main characters. You know, you maybe have one veteran, one rookie. You have your New York accent wisecracker, and then you have like your fucking big tough guy. You make the rookie your main Hi, character. Reese. Yeah, yeah. And then Master Chief is that guy that talks maybe three times an episode, but every time they're like, "Oh shit, we're being gunned down by that uh, Covenant turret." All you'll hear is "Not anymore," and then you just see the chief like fucking run at it and like do some crazy shit, and you're like, "Okay, awesome. That's all I need." 
And you can still have your, the tuxedo mask of the yeah, show. Yeah, you can yeah. still have your your slow moments in the show too. Of course, you can still have an entire episode where they discover the library on the Halo, and it's just like an entire episode of them learning about the flood and what exactly sure. the Halo does and stuff like. I that. I mean, they can get there. Um, yeah, they would have to play the game to learn about the flood, though. Yeah, but yeah, and and that's the thing exactly <laughs> is it feels like they're gonna get to Halo One at the end of season one when it should have just started there. Because the strength of Halo has always been Master Chief fighting aliens, learning about mysterious things, a.k.a. the Flood, and then saving the day. Right now we're dealing with rebellions, which aren't very interesting. Um, John Gaines' feelings back, which I personally enjoy, but it's not like exciting television. And the other Spartans kind of finally coming into their own on episode three or four. When... They really should be main characters from the get-go, but um, yeah, I digress. It's fine if you didn't play any Halo. If you didn't, yeah. if you didn't play any Halo and you watched this show, you would find it like a very by-the-numbers military sci-fi. Matching the uh, the episode synopsis that just says John Halo gets his feelings back. John Halo. <laughs> Halo gets his feelings back. It's not that he gets his Halos back. It's just his emotions it were su- were suppressed for efficiency on the yeah, battlefield. No, I get it. And now it's not so suppressed, is all. Like, he's still, like, military indoctrinated. Like, he's still not going to go fucking AWOL or I feel anything. like I need to go back and talk about Sonic 2 more uh, after you talk so much about it. But, yeah, okay. Good to hear. I've, I've heard nothing but people who sat down and been like, hey, this is actually, this is actually okay uh, in a sea of fucking derivative uh, IP uh, farming and mining shows and things coming back. Uh, for example, The Batman hit streaming services today. Oh, who gives a fuck? I mean, I'm probably going to watch that tonight, but I didn't want to pay money for it. So, <laughs> Robert Pattinson. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, man, I got no... Uh, did you hear that before Ben Affleck was uh, was cast, apparently Josh Brolin was, was in the in the bucket for Batman actors for the Justice League movies? I'm, I'm glad Josh Brolin decided, you know what, I was Thanos, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, you sidestep that fucking landmine. Yeah, Jesus I Christ. like Josh Brolin, I don't want to dislike him, so... <laughs> Yeah, don't don't cast people we like as Batman. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the fucking nail in the coffin. Yeah, this is open uh, with yeah. pearls falling on the ground. Yeah, Martha, uh, how do you know that name? Man, those are bad. Those are bad fucking movies. Now they're, they're the DCU is talking about doing a full a full rehash. The the executives are like, we got Superman right here. People love Superman. Why are we letting him wallow uh, and not have regular movies being released? It's like, man, you can't. They cannot fucking get it together over there. Just give James Gunn the whole goddamn thing and leave him alone. See what happens. <laughs> uh, make it just a big, fun fucking uh, Thor Love and Thunder trailers out. Reed, we're just checking in on, on all this pop culture nonsense. Apparently. Uh, that's, that's still being shat out uh, at a regular basis. But you know what? Some of it, some of it, so there's only so much time. Hey, and, Halo uh, and Sonic are video games, so that fucking counts. Uh, that's true. And they're both uh, apparently excellent examples of... Uh, converting well, a video game into both, another medium they're both weird in that they like both games are like really shallow when it comes to their lore and their story I mean, that's your opinion <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying like when you play the games they're like all right here's the gameplay and here's some story i guess yes. well that's the thing with halo is like they have the the games and then you have the novelizations which I, I as far as i know are canon to the games like they fit in there's nothing in the books that contradicts the games and vice versa right yeah, or they, am i am they, I they uncanonized something when 343 took over but three yeah. four when 343 took over is when like when you and me started to check out when they're like 
oh, the Forerunners weren't actual ancient humans. They were actually just a different alien race. And they and they fought the Flood, and they made the Reclaimers, and they made all these planets, and yeah, they did that's this. that's no good. Yeah, and it's like, no, it was more interesting when the we never saw a Forerunner. All we knew about them was that they were ancient humans, and they one time came into contact with the Flood and made the Halos because of it. That's all it had to yeah, be. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. See, the thing with Sonic... <laughs> is the chaos emeralds gotta stop sonic versus versus halo uh the thing with sonic is that it in of itself in of its its infancy it had so many different canons there was like the comic book which followed the sat okay so sonic had two cartoons running concurrently uh this was just just before your time but there was a weekday sonic the hedgehog show which took place in a looney tunes-esque fucking nightmare scape Uh, And that's the one that had Scratch and Grounder and Robotnik and Sonic and Tails. And they were just, you know, it was your standard weekday. uh, Robotnik's got a a plan and we're going to fuck him over. Then there was the more grimdark Saturday morning Sonic show, uh, which had the Freedom Fighters and had Sally and, uh, you you know, Bunny Rabot and all these characters. That's playing with the Yu-Gi-Oh's and stuff? Uh, Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, That that was a Saturday morning uh, show. And that had... Uh, the SWAT bots, and it had uh, that's when they had Jaleel White as the voice of Sonic. I think he was the voice of Sonic on both shows. I could be wrong about that. Uh, that's when they had like Uncle Phil as Robotnik. Uh, I can't remember that actor's name. I apologize, but that one was much more uh, to be taken seriously and serialized. That was much more of a arcing show. Yeah, and that one uh, shared its canon more or less with the comic books. The comic books eventually. Uh, took on the canon of the games as they came out and tried to write them into the major canon even though the games didn't give a shit. So by the time Sonic Adventure rolls around and Shadow the Hedgehog and all those characters hit the scene, they canonized them in the comic books, but it, it wasn't quite one-to-one with the games and everything kind of flew out of control. But at, at that point, already Sonic had been splintered into so many different canonizations. What was uh, the same amongst all these these iterations of Sonic was Sonic. He was the same fucking guy, and all this, he was way past cool, and then eventually he became uh, long-legged and and anime, kissing human ladies, and doing that kind of stuff, but at at its core, they kept, they kept, you know, for better or worse, uh, the characters and the the vibe going, and that's what the movie does, and that's why the movie's fine, Uh, and we'll see where Sonic Frontiers goes, Uh, they, Sega at some point did split the, like, old, pudgy, chili dog eating sonic with the uh, long-legged uh sonic uh in in some kind of weird splintered uh spider-man no way home kind of canon uh so it it doesn't the thing with video games is it doesn't matter and if it does matter that's when if you're making a tv show or a movie where people are gonna like max Payne, where it's just like the story is already perfect if you think you can improve upon it go for it but keep in mind that people already hold this at a certain a certain level and you will you know you will not eclipse it you will not do better than what has already been told just because you think your movies and movies should are, are a better storytelling medium than video games is what i'm saying yeah um and that's uh and that's cool man uh, speaking of storytelling, uh, let's touch upon Elden Ring. Uh, oh, Nick, Lord. Who, who ditched us on this podcast, <laughs> uh, he has become Elden Lord uh, through a bunch of mysterious happenstance that he cannot explain. Uh, Reed, you are done with this game as of the week after it came out, pretty much. Yeah, um, I haven't played it in over two weeks, so. Wow. Wow. Uh, so I am uh, I'm in the Helling Tree I am in the concentrated, uh, consecrated uh, snowfields. I'm in that whole end rigmarole of the game. Basically, Taking like the my last time. third. 
Yeah. Yeah. Where, if, there's, a yeah, lo- where sure. there's a lot less to explore and there's more to fight. <laughs> yeah. No, the, after you get the, uh, the rolled, uh, uh, thing and you go go up that elevator uh at that point if you want to follow the game through to the end it is like a linear kind of dark souls bloodborne yeah, and, and kind even of, in those yeah. con- consecrated snowfields there is very little in the way to explore like as far if you compare it to something like the first starting area or Khaled or anything like that like there's some yeah. there's some ruins but you're not going to find intricate pathways to fucking like rent There's, random caves it's, or it's more like replaced with optional bosses at that point yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. like here's a few side areas but we are basically just challenging you ramping you up to the end of the game yeah and uh so i i've been following uh, probably through to the end the ronnie uh simp quest uh where you be- become her uh lord basically and she's going to start things anew uh but not in the so okay listen we're not going to talk too much about Elden Ring lore, and I'm not going to talk too much about what happens in the game, but I will talk about the lore that happens before Elden Ring. We only have so much fucking time here, uh, but I looked up some videos, I read some stuff, I've been digging into the wikis, just finding out and getting in my head straight the family tree of these fucking demigods and what takes place before the game takes place. Yeah, this is some and real true- similarian shit. Uh, you're absolutely right, because uh, everybody has the same fucking names. Uh, George R. R. Martin thought it'd be really, really funny if everybody's name sounded the same and, and consisted of the same eight fucking letters, uh, most of them starting with G or R, and then characters having different, uh, basically, hey, you became a lord, now your name is this, but your name before that was this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the and you fight you fight certain certain characters in the game, like Godwin. You, this guy reappears multiple times in the game. He's referenced a ton, and he's almost a progenitor of the Tarnished if you go all the way back in the lore of Elden Ring. Uh, so when you meet him at the end, uh, if you haven't followed that really particular primordial uh, Elden Ring lore, you're like, who the fuck is this? And why does it matter? How do they relate to uh, America? Radon? Radagon? Who the fuck? Who the fuck? Who's who's? Who's what? Huh? Uh, who, who's who's brother and sister, and then you have literal uh, characters that are more, not even, uh, without getting into too many spoilers, without even having characters tell you a false name and becoming someone else, you have characters who are other characters, uh, and then do things in the lore that are hard to explain. If you, if you read it as a single page of dialogue, and it's being described to you, and then this happened, you're like, wow, that's fucked up and sad, but you can't in a nuanced way explain that to players that are going through Elden Ring which is why I had to duck out I'm like man I want to contextualize this map I want to know who you know who are these magical knights versus who are these crucible knights versus who, what's this race doing who are these guys why are they fighting them I at a certain point broke down and just jumped on YouTube but I'm like tell me tell me the history of the Elden Ring uh, and went all the way back to before the greater will uh, who basically c- controls the world via the Erd Tree? Uh, right. Before that happened, why did that happen? Who is the bad guy in Elden Ring, really? Uh, and I kind of looked that up, and I have a much better appreciation right. uh, for the world and the map and the the players involved. Yeah, it, it feels a lot like Miyazaki went up to George R. R. Martin and was like, you know, like I'm making this game. It's going to be inspired. Like I, I'm going to be designing like how it looks, like off Celtic stuff. Uh, it's going to be in this land. I'm calling it the lands between. I need you to set up like like all the stuff that happened before. So George R. R. Martin looked at mythology and he made something that is very similar to mythology. You know, kids sound exactly like their parents. 
people have multiple titles and change titles when they do certain things. Um, yeah. So he like he and then he presented all of this this mythology essentially to Miyazaki, and then Miyazaki's like, great. Then he put his Dark Souls veil over it, which it works in Dark Souls because all the information you need is in the game, and it's very easy to access because most of the lore is told at the beginning of the game. And you can also pe- telling a shorter shorter term story, yeah, in a more linear path too. Yeah. But like like for example, you could be fighting um, Crucible Knights, and you're like, what the fuck. What what is this? Like what what's happening here? In Dark Souls Run, you could be fighting Black Knights, and you're like, oh wait, I saw these guys in the opening cutscene behind Gwyn. They are Gwyn's knights. I understand. They don't like me because I'm yeah. trying to stop Gwyn. Cool. Um, so it works in Dark Souls too because Dark Souls has a lot less like it doesn't have the intricate family trees and the political uh, interweaving that an Elden Ring does. And once again, that's more of a George R. R. Martin thing. It doesn't like. Like, people are having kids with other people, and then they get different partners and have more different kids. And then those kids fight the other, like, fight their half-siblings. And it's all, like, very intricate in that sense. And, you know, there's descendants who have the same name as people of people that are thousands of years older than them. But then you'll see both of those people anyway, so you're like, what the fuck? What even is time in this well, in this world? Well, because, yeah, you'll have, you'll, have characters, you'll have characters that are thousands of years old, and then you'll have characters that are not. Uh, but in terms of how the game presents them, they are of equal standing. They they are ageless. Radon and someone like uh, Godric, for example, you you realize later that oh, they're generations removed from one another, and one of the like one of them is vying for power and has uh, you know has has found power that's been handed down to them. But in the grand scheme of things, they are a nobody that you are taking out right. on your road to take out the somebodies to get to the ultimate somebody. Yeah, and um, I'm not saying Elden Ring does it worse or better than Dark Souls 1, but Dark Souls 1 has the advantage of being more linear, having less characters, much easier naming conventions, um, a somewhat more simplistic story in the sense of... <laughs> you point to any one thing. It's the fucking names. And, and, it's the names. And it's not even just that, Lee. It's like, if you ask me what the fuck is the Elden Ring and what does it do and why do we need to reform it, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I like There's no point in the game where it was anybody like, if you reform the Elden Ring, you'll be able to do X or Y. It's not like in Dark Souls where it make it pretty clear because there's two serpents that talk to you when you beat certain bosses. They're like hey, remember that first flame from the beginning open cinematic? And you're like, yeah. They're like, Gwyn has been artificially extending his life because he doesn't want it to end. You need to uh, kill Gwyn and then link your soul to keep it extended because it'll be even fresher at that point. Then the other serpent's like, nah, fuck that. You gotta quill, uh, kill Gwyn and then let the fire fade. And you're like, okay, I understand. The, the, the flame, not only does it grant power to those who touches it, it also has created this age of fire, essentially. If I end it, all this goes away. That's clear. That's decisive. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I fucking no idea what... And we don't even... Like, we still don't even know what why Queen Marika broke the Elden Ring in the first place. Why she so, started so, the shattering. Yeah, so from what I can gather... Uh, we, we're thinking that this her breaking the Elden Ring and then the game happening is like thing one and then thing two when in reality her busting up the elden ring and then you coming on the scene are is like hundreds of thousands of years well yeah because all their kids go and after the shards and then their descendants and all they, that shit basically 
it kind of ties back. So my interpretation of it, my personal interpretation of it, is you have the greater will. The greater will is an entity from fucking celestial space. As far as the people of the lands between are concerned, this is a god uh, that has has uh, from very very far away uh, come to these lands. Uh, kind of did away with the old religion, uh, which is the the Crucible Knights and the tree you find underground and all that shit. That's it's basing its religion on the old religion. It's saying, "Hey, uh, we're the new cool thing. Get with us, Marika. You're a representation on Earth. You get all the power. What's the first thing you're gonna do?" Marika's like, "Death gone. We're sealing away death. There's no death. You can't die. If you die." Uh, you get under the tree, your soul just basically gets put into a new fucking husk, and you're just you, you again. So you know all those turtles and deer and uh, squirrels you killed? Don't yeah. worry about it. They're coming back, just like you do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, after hundreds of thousands of years, of course, God's going to do what demigod's going to do. Uh, they make children. These children get a fraction of that power. Those children have children. There's power plays. There's people who want what someone else has. There's wars of, of you know, knights and people following... Uh, the faith of the of the Erd tree, uh, which communes with the crones through the fucking two fingers, and every demigod has their own two fingers, and every demigod also has their own shadow, which is like a beast that protects them. Uh, so Ronnie, the witch, for example, has blade or blood, whatever you want to pronounce it. The uh, the wolf. <laughs> it's um, fucking Wesley Snipes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marika. Yeah, blade. Uh, Marika has the. Uh, the, the lion creature that was holding the death ruin that Ronnie stole. it So, it's when it's laid out that way, and you can see the, the interconnections of the characters, uh, and you're just focusing on the, the pre-game lore, it's fine. And you can make sense of it, and you can make sense of what you are doing in the game, but the, it's, ha- it's happening to you in real time in the game, and it's not explaining to you... Uh, enough about the background of these characters, enough about the big bad in the game being the greater will, uh, and the game doesn't go out of its way to be like, well, you really have two choices here. You have the faith in the the power that you cannot comprehend, or you can go, like any JRPG read, you can go kill God. Yeah. Uh, and the whole point of the game, as I perceive it, is that Marika has set up all these different dominoes, and she's basically like, listen... Uh, so, someone's gonna come along. I've done my best uh, to put things into motion here to weaken God, and it's up to you if you want to undo that. Hey, do what you're gonna do. But I'm I've had a fuck enough of it, so you decide. Uh, and that's never spelled out in the game. There's a bunch of different endings in the game. You did the friend, frenzied flame en- ending, which is really the burn it down ending, uh, Seth Rollins ending. Uh, you can uh, side with Ronnie the Witch, which is what I'm doing, and she has stolen a piece of death. She's looking to basically live outside the greater will. There's other characters in the game, like Michaela, uh, which is, I believe, how you're going to pronounce that with an Irish accent, uh, who's made the Howling Tree that's basically like, hey, all the people who don't fit under the faith of the Erd Tree that are considered, like, abominations, so the, the Albanerics or whatever, those are the ladies that don't have legs that are all, like, laying on the ground. And then those weird frog people that do cartwheels, those are the same race. They are man-made humanoids that are basically like, you weren't born of natural causes, therefore you an abomination. You can't have the faith of the Erd Tree. So they all pilgrimage to the Howling Tree. So you have all these different factions made by these demigods that all concurrently exist in this game. Uh, and you as the Tarnished, and it's like Game of Thrones. It's like George R.R. R. Martin wrote a certain amount of books and he handed them to From Software. And from software is like shit. This stuff can't exist in the game because it's too big. There's no way to gamanize this. 
Uh, unless we tell more stories with prequels and stuff like that. Absolutely, you could do yeah, that. Like, but we're going to tell the story of the... Yeah. Yeah, like they can't they can't explain how... Like, unless you do a cutscene, you're not going to have... Like, Marika used to be with uh, fucking Godfrey, but Godfrey was called Horrocks Laws or whatever. And then yeah. she split herself. And then he went to kill the giants, and then she banished him. And then he he was the progenitor of the Tarnished. And then he's still around, but like he's got a ghost, and he's also the first Elden Lord. Right. And how many Elden Lords have there been since then? The you don't only really storytelling uh, method they have is NPCs or items, and you can't put all of that in a single item or a single NPC, and then trying to piece all of that together when all these characters have similar names or different names, like you were saying, it makes it much more difficult. It's a lot like Destiny in that sense. Yeah, the hardest like, thing is, like, people coming into this are like, oh, Dark Souls is, is nuanced storytelling, you have to read the item descriptions, and you'll, pe- you'll piece that shit together. And for the most part, yeah, if you dig into certain items based on, you know, weapons or things you find, the problem with Elden Ring is, you'll go into a castle area and you'll find a sword that says one thing that pertains to the current big bad of that castle that's residing there now, and you'll find another item that's referring to something that happened thousands of years ago and relates directly to the demigods, uh... And you're trying to, in your head, chronologically piece this together, and it's kind of all happening at the same time, and that's when it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to put it simply. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really is like, okay, the Tarnish comes to town, and then he's basically just raising it all to the ground. Like, when you start the game, uh, it, you know, you realize later that you don't have to take out all these demigods. It's in your best interest to do so because of the rewards and the, the loot and all these things therein. To complete as much of the game as possible, the only reason to do that is to learn as much as possible. But you'll have a better appreciation for what you choose to do if someone hands you the fucking encyclopedia Elden Ringia uh, before you even start the right, game. And I, and I don't want to spend an hour or two to fully contextualize the new area I'm about to enter. So if I when I fight yes. Renala, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, oh, this is so awesome. I'm fighting like the daughter of blank and the sister of blank. I like it, it comes across like there's so much, it's so much. I keep hating compared to Dark Souls, but like take Ornstein Smog for example, most famous boss from Dark Souls One probably. You don't know fuck all about them going in, but you know that you're in the uh, castle of the gods and you're going to find like presumably Gwyn who's in this area. So you're like, okay, these two guys are blocking the way. They're probably Gwyn's knights, and then you read their shit, and it's like they're like, this is the armor of Ornstein. He is one of Gwyn's knights. You're like, great. It's not saying like it's not being like this is. The armor of Gwendolyn, the son of Gwyn, and it was forged a thousand years ago. And you're like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? It's it's there. It's there if you want it. And the thing that Elden Ring has that we, you have to admit that the other From Software games don't have is it has that incredible layer of storytelling that's impossible to actually get across even in a 100 hour game right, and I'm, I'm, there's just what, what so I'm, much of it yeah what i'm saying is it maybe like i'm not doubting that it's probably cool once you look into it because all mythology is cool but yeah. i i need it's, it it's cool as a fever dream where you're just going from place to place and experiencing these right. fucking there wild... needs to be a little bit more contextualization in elden ring as far yeah. as that goes because like i said there's there's three times the amount of lore that dark souls has in this game so you could be dealing with one of a million things when you talk to one NPC. Whereas if you're in Dark Souls 1 or 3 or Bloodborne and you talk to an NPC, chances are it's only going to be relating to one of three topics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So Yeah, that I, that's a way better way of putting it. You could be talking to, to anybody about anything in Elden Ring. Whereas in the other games, they're usually only sticking to specific topics. 
the thing, the single thing that may, we're going to wrap up here, uh, as far as you're concerned, uh, the 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 thing that made me search the lore was one piece of dialogue from one of the the finger crones or whatever the like witches. She's like, you can see the two fingers have been have stood up like an antenna. I'm like, I can see this. Yes. What does this mean? And she's like, well, it means that they're trying to commune with the greater will. This previously has taken tens of thousands of years. And uh, when the greater will uh, communicates back with the lands between, basically, those two fingers write in the air. And it's up to those witches to decipher what's being written in the air. And that becomes basically the law of God. That's the rule of the land. This is what the greater will has to say about this. So you're like, okay, so I've done enough damage. I've fucked up enough stuff. That the great, they, like they're calling home. They're like, uh, greater will, you gotta come, you gotta let us know what to do. Uh, and what you're doing is gonna take a month, let's say, in in game time. Let's say between days passing, it's a it's thirty days. But it would take tens of thousands of years for the greater will to even be like, oh fuck, uh, do this, do that, or I'm I'm coming, just wait, I'm coming there. Um, and all that's basically left is the defenses that the greater will has left. That is being America and whatever state she's in, the beast. Uh, the Elden Beast that you come across, that kind of stuff. That's what's left behind as a defense for God's uh, will on the earth, and you fucked it up. And at that point, when I realized that the ba- the quote-unquote bad guy of the game, they're trying to cell phone him, and it's going to take 10,000 years for him to actually tell them what to do, I'm like, okay, I need to find out what happened the last time he talked to them, uh, is basically what I thought in my head. I was just like, if, if, if that is truly the lore, what did the greater will do last time it communed with the lands between? What was its influence? And I gotta, I gotta go back. Uh, and that was my, my impetus uh, for doing that. And guess what? I'm happy with what I found. It made me enjoy the game more uh, to have that context. And maybe I would enjoy uh, the other Dark Souls games more. Even as you're saying, it's a skim off the top in terms of the amount of lore. But... Maybe if I knew, oh, I'm in this castle and this is what it means. Even going back to Demon Souls and whatever lore they have there. Uh, lore is the, the word of the week. And uh, we're not at all saying that Elden Ring is a bad game for this. There's oh, games no, no, like no. Destiny, uh, which are fantastic despite having awful background lore storytelling. Uh, Elden Ring is a fantastic ride, whether you care about this stuff or not. Yeah. But if you are getting upset, if you're getting like chronologically confused about it, uh, there are there are things outside of the game that will help better contextualize it. And if you're like me, Reed doesn't necessarily care to go back and read this stuff. It'll be stuff he picks oh, up along the way. Yeah, it, uh, and, and I will give a shit about it later. But like I've said, when I'm pl- when I'm in the middle of a game, I don't want to spend an hour or two just to contextualize a new area I'm going into. And I think, like I said before, that's something that Dark Souls One, Three, and Bloodborne succeed in is that, like. You always have a pretty decent under uh, understanding of where you are and what you're doing there. Yeah, in Eldering especially, it's like you chose to go to this area of any of the sixteen areas you could have gone to. Yeah, you can't give you a cutscene with means. an info drop every yeah. time because you could be experiencing these one after another over the course of ten minutes. We're gonna let you figure it out. Uh, and you know, yeah, what, I, you know what Elden Ring should have had, Lee. What's that? You know when you walk into a Pokemon gym for the first time and there's always that fucking fellow right by the entrance that's like, Yeah, there hey, should just be a dude by the door. Yeah, hey, trainer, <laughs> uh, this gym uses psychic Pokemon. You should use dark Pokemon. They yeah. should have a fucking dude at the beginning of each, like, major dungeon that's like, <laughs> Oh, tarnished one, you're about to enter the Rhea Lucaria Academy, home of Ranella, daughter of blank, daughter of blank. Yep. But to find a blasphemous lord who's joined himself with a snake to live forever. Yeah, <laughs> Good luck. Uh, yeah, 
like that's yeah. all I need, right? Because when I fought Rygar, I'm like, okay, Snake Man, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's and then when you see what it means, you're like, I don't know what I yeah, expected. It's different but... <laughs> when you accidentally in Dark Souls One when you accidentally totally stumble into Seath's um uh boss fight, you're like, oh shit, it's Seath the Scaleless. I remember him from the opening cutscene. He betrayed the dragons yeah. and now he's here. Cool. That's, That's all like because well, even the we're gonna wrap up here because you're uh, we gotta get back to work. But uh, in the beginning, when it like la- lays out the hey, here's these guys, here's the people of importance, yeah, the loads and dung even eater. Bosses, they're like the dung no dung eater. dung eater is like a guy you do quests for, yeah, and exactly. in my case, I fed him a potion and turned him into a fucking summon. Uh, you fight him by the moat, and he gives you a sword. He's relatively no one compared to the rest of those characters. Fia and all these characters are ancillary characters to what you actually end up doing in the game and what you you interface with, I think it's just pointing you, it's giving you that seed of mystery where it's just like, who are these people? And how do they relate to the story? Yeah, if, and if like the intention of Elden Ring was to throw the character into a very mysterious world to the point of like... Succeeded. Yeah. yeah to the point of like, yeah, like you're really a fish out of water where you don't understand, like where you feel like manipulated like you do in the story, like you are manipulated by various parties... Uh, you you feel manipulated yourself because you just feel like you're just doing things because you got them, as opposed to yep. like oh this is my thing like it's not like someone's like you're the chosen undead you have to like stop Gwyn because he's fucking shit up here's like like only only Hollows can do it you have the power you gotta in this I mean that's like, basically Elden Ring right it's just like you are one of t- uh, thousands of l- just like you. Uh, seeking power when you have none, and and can you can you do it? And then you realize that what power is, and and you you see how it's corrupted all these different entities right. across the lands. And that's great, yeah. but they keep saying like, I like they're like, oh, they're they're granted power, and you're like, okay, and they're like, they're like when the when when the Elden Ring shattered, and you need to reform, you're like, okay, but what like what is that gonna do, like? <laughs> Like, you I have don't to understand. contextualize who's telling you this and why and what what they're like when you go to burn the tree, for example, and the, like suddenly the dialogue from the crones and stuff like that get very different, and like they're like, "Don't this is bad? This is bad. You're you're committing the cardinal sin. It's like only a cardinal sin if I believe God is God and not just an alien that can be killed." Uh, and that stuff's bleed. interesting. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's not just a thing in a cave. Like every other thing yeah, in a cave, I fought in this a, fucking game. The final boss is Predator, and he's just like, yeah, he's invisible <laughs> and shit, and he has got a mimic Predator, which is the most deadly thing in the game. Uh, anyways, uh, at Iceberg Podcast is us. Lee at tcicebreak.com is my email address. Send us stuff. Uh, we will talk again before too long. Probably this next weekend, we will catch up. I will hopefully be finished Elden Ring at this point. Uh, and I can give my final two thoughts on the ending I get and how it all kind of wraps up and what my uh, what I've understood of the lore. See if it, it sticks. I'm waiting for something to jump out of place and for me to be like, that contradicts what I think was true. And it hasn't happened yet. Everything's made sense since I fucking took the time to watch those videos. Uh, so for myself, Lee, and for Reed, we'll talk again this weekend. we got to talk about Weird West. We're going to play some Halo 3 campaign. Yeah. It, yeah. The the spring of Halo is upon us. We'll talk to you again (laughs) then.